In the heart of these animated wonders, there are tales and symbols older and darker than the castle's highest tower. Welcome to Occult Disney. Journey with Paranoid American and Matthew Comagies as they traverse the intricate pathways of alchemy, the shadowed corners of biblical narratives, and the very folklore that birthed these tales. Beneath every brushstroke lie whispers of writers' taboos, the cloak-and-dagger politics of hallowed studios, and secrets held close. Every magic has its price, every kingdom its shadows. Are you prepared to peer beyond the veil? Welcome to the Occult Disney Podcast. Howdy, folks. It's the Occult Disney Podcast. This is Matt here. As always, it's the Paranoid American. Howdy. <laughs> I'm getting buckets of rain tossed on my head today. Well, especially if I go outside. So I got a nice gloomy, gloomy one for a desert movie. I like that. <laughs> yeah, but even when it's gloomy in your part of the world, it's probably still beautiful. Oh, the mountains look great. You get the, the floating cloud sort of stuff, you know, like the floating paintings, floating world sort of uh, setting. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I were to take Can a we look do out, one of these episodes with like you out, out and about in like a temple or something? I used to do that um, when I did the Sci-Fi Sanctuary podcast. Uh, my co-host, you know, we live we actually work at the same company. So we, we would hike off to temples. And I think we recorded like 50 episodes in a temple. <laughs> That's cool. man. Uh, That's cool. I'm not going to lie. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if if my uh, if my if my bandwidth is looking good for that month or my my um, whatever I'm, the what, name's escaping me. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's possible. It's not it's not impossible. I'll say that at least. Might get weird sound quality and wind. We had uh, some recordings where we were recorded Spider Man Two on the side of the mountain, and the whole podcast you just hear <laughs> as the wind comes through. Which of course I get some come. AI to clean that up. It's no big deal. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that was twenty ah the auspicious year twenty twenty. So we didn't didn't quite have the uh, easy AI for that yet. Uh before the great fall of man. That's right. <laughs> um, well, you know, there's, there's the book on the beach where you have the great fall of man, and the final people on the planet are in Australia. So that's where we're going today <laughs> for the rescuers down under. Wow, what that was the most. Segue apocalyptic segue Tip, possible tips to to you know donate some money for matt for the awesome segue in the description right. below i can get a i can get a segue scooter with that so <laughs> i had to dodge like eight people on us on segways uh last week when i when i took my little trip i'm walking along the beach and then there's the guide up front who knows what they're doing and then seven very unpredictable people on segways behind them so i was like you know having to jump into the jungle and stuff <laughs> statistically that's probably a majority of segway users are ones that are like just doing it out of novelty and have no idea what they're doing didn't the owner of the company like drive off a cliff or something yeah yeah okay yeah. <laughs> I, I i love those iron irony stories like was it the denver airport where the uh, creepy horse sculpture murdered its its creator blucifer is his name blucifer, and you, you yes. better put some respect on blucifer's name because he's got a body count already I know. I, I went into the Denver airport in maybe 2004. So no mind of like all the weird stuff there at the time. Just so you saw I the noticed, mural. I saw the murals, and uh, yeah, I was like, I was like what, 20, 24, <laughs> Wait, 25 years old. Just like, is that a German sword going up that poor girl's? Oh, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> and there's a dove. All right, what the hell is this? I was on a um 
I was making a connection to to Jackson Hole, and um, I actually left security and went back into security because the place was so weird. <laughs> like, who does that on a layover? You know, <laughs> I'm gonna go backwards safe before before these German weirdos can get me with the gas masks. Oh no! I just wanted to see more of the place because it was so weird. I remember—I <laughs> can't remember the last time I was there, but uh, it was probably in like 2008 or nine. But at that point, they had embraced the conspiracy theory culture slowly, and and they had banners up that said like lizards this way, or, or it was something like that, or like you know reptilians hard at work. Um, so I I think it's funny, like little tongue in cheek. But at the same time, I th- I believe they brought someone in to paint back over sections of that mural because they were so controversial like you'd have to go online and find pictures from like the 90s in order to see like the really really original mural version before they started doing little touch-ups yeah yeah i think i hit it at a pretty at a pretty sweet spot and um was there supposed to be like buried skyscrapers around the airport and stuff that's the wild I mean that's not today's topic, but it's it is fascinating. Well, I've heard underground city, and I've heard that there's like a little uh, podium that has like a Freemason symbol on it, and if you touch it in just the right way, or if you touch your Freemason ring up against it, like a little you know elevator comes up and it brings you underground to this whole thing. It a sounds awesome. World. Maybe I should try that one time. I didn't I didn't bring my Mason ring with me, but I should like touch it just to see what happens. <laughs> Welcome. They'll say you know somebody's random name if it's not your ring, you know. Welcome original to the Delta and... Preferred Executive Lounge. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, as for the rescuers down under, this is, I feel like a somewhat forgotten movie. I mean, I certainly forgot. I'm just like, oh, Little Mermaid, straight to Beauty and the Beast, bang bang. But this is this is lying right in the middle. Um. I'm going to be honest, this is such a forgotten movie than we when we did the first Rescuers movie. I accidentally watched this one first and then realized, oh crap, this wasn't the original Rescuers and I had to re- watch the original one again. Um, but when I watched this one, yeah, it was like a, a new movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I hadn't seen it before. Um, when before, it came out. Like, re- like this week or recently? Yeah, I, I had never seen it, uh, partly for the reason this movie was somewhat of a flop, because this was the next big, you know, they, they were expecting big things from this movie. Um, the rest, the, when Eisner and Katzenberger came in the mid-80s, they were basically like, okay, what's a recent hit? And in 1985, the most recent hit that Disney Animation had was basically The Rescuers. I mean, that sounds silly now, but from that perspective, it made sense. So they were like, okay, green light a sequel. Uh, they got a couple of the animators who had done well in Oliver and Company and sort of rewarded them with directing this movie. And mm-hmm. uh, I think things generally went okay. The, the catch was they released it on the same weekend as uh, Home Alone. And I know I went to see Home Alone at, at age 10 or whatever. So I didn't see this. Oh, Home Alone dominated whatever was in my brain for like a good three or four months when it came out. I mean, that, and they had, um, you know, Macaulay Culkin on like Saturday Night Live and he was just popping up all over the place. So yeah, bad timing, Disney. But also, even rewatching this movie, I liked it. I thought the animation was good. The pacing was pretty good. Um, like all all the technical stuff, I think they'd kind of like sorted out from a level of combining the traditional and like the newer computer assisted animate. Like you can see that it's in there, but I think it's done very, very well. 
but it feels like it's like someone just made the wrong decision on like where to set this thing happening and i can't put my finger on it because i can't pretend that i could get into the ring with like the the you know the creatives that were working on this at disney at the time but there's just sorry australia but there was just like something boring like if it just happened somewhere outside of australia maybe it would have been more interesting i don't know i don't know what it is but it's missing the, like a thing that makes me want to watch it over and over again. That's the other super 80s influence on this movie. 1986 or so, um, Eisner's old studio had a giant hit with Crocodile Dundee. Um, then Tom Selleck, I guess, was doing okay with the Quigley Down Under. I remember uh, my father and I going to see uh, Young Einstein because just, you oh, we like Crocodile Dundee. And of course, Young Einstein's like a hot mess of a movie starring yahoo serious yeah. um, <laughs> so there was like kind of a um uh, you know a fad australian thing going this is why on you think it ended up in australia is just because it was like throw another shrimp on the barbie was in style at that time yeah yeah you know th that's not a knife this is a knife all of that but yeah that that's was right man cheech marin had a movie i think that was uh in australia it was like a thing going on for a while 80s to yeah. mid 90s and then, you know, Eisner, of course, he, the, the studio that really had the big Australian hit was the one he had just left. So he's like, I'll show them with my own Australia movie. <laughs> so the, the Australia, while it might not have been the best decision, like looking at how it happens, like, well, from it, from the perspective of the late 80s, it kind of makes from a sense. businessman looking at paper. Yeah, it, make, it makes sense, maybe. For a man who's very uncomfortable on camera but wants to do introductions for everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you've had enough hello, I'm Michael Eisner uh, videos you've seen. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's he's a very charming guy, just like oozing charisma, you know? Well, I just loved how he was like, okay, Walt Disney was, you know, he he hosted the TV show and all that sort of stuff. So, so I'm going to do it too, you know? <laughs> it's, it's It's like today if you had like the harrison ford talk show or something where he's the host <laughs> i would love for like the modern executives to have to introduce all the shows still like on like you put on disney channel before something comes on eisner actually did have a talk show in the late 2000s didn't he like, his own briefly. talk show i don't yeah, remember it. i believe there's the michael eisner show where he actually hosts and, and like talks to like other execs and stuff yeah um, i found our new series yeah, yeah, there's something to look into. Conversations <laughs> with Michael Eisner, is that what it's called? I, I don't, it's not, it's not, it's something I've heard about, not watched, because I don't know, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to block out my time for Michael Eisner's talk show unless I really need to. <laughs> there's some MK Ultra, you just put it on in the background, just like psychic driving. Get triggered, yeah, and it's always fun. <laughs> what was it? Oh, uh, the other big thing, you were talking about how the animation in this, looks really good and for me i i mean the australian said I'm, I'm fine with that i felt like the story was a little by the numbers like i didn't really feel like it popped much but the animation super popped uh this is the first considered the first all digital movie ever like it didn't go analog until they pressed it to celluloid to send to theaters because obviously they weren't doing digital projections but up to going on film this was completely digital where they would scan you know pencil designs and then digitally ink them digitally cut them that's the, with the, with the cap system. it's a murky definition now because even as you describe that it's like yeah i guess it's all digital from a certain perspective but also 
like in the coming movies they'd start using just like wacom tablets and then in the coming movies they might like like no one have has ever actually put a pencil to paper uh not necessarily exactly like that because even in toy story of course they had animatics and storyboard designers and stuff but um like this one i still count as hand-drawn a little bit traditional at least compared to where we're at today yeah a little bit i, I think this is basically the method that japanese anime studios like use now uh because what's up there's just still where they are hand drawing things but then scanning and then the end product is actually completely digital so it's kind of like a, when comic books made the change to digital i mean comic books today look extremely different than you know from when i was growing up or whatever yeah yeah in a lot of different ways although it's that's a whole rabbit hole too of like traditional versus digital in illustration because there's a lot of artists that i work with that bounce between the two depending on what they want the style to look like on if they're going to start digital and do everything in photoshop or you know clip studio pro or whatever they use or if they do it in like actual pen and paper and scan it and then go back over it digitally it gives you and there's some publisher i think like fanographics is one where they don't allow any digital artwork at all like anything that you turn into fanographics has to be traditional and i believe you have to like mail them the originals and everything Wow. Oh, yeah, I guess it's pretty digital. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, for me, obviously I'm I can barely draw and uh I'm gonna do digital stuff, right? Because <laughs> that's more convenient. And Are I mean you a I don't prompt any... artist? I'm an AI prompt artist now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> well that the the fun is I guess doing all the prompts, but as we talked before, if you're doing the stuff with the AI, you do quickly start to see where the uh, walls of that particular cube are, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, Although I, that, I that's I, when you can get nerdy and start training it, all the new stuff you wanted to know about. Yeah, I guess you got to get like a, a nice swank one and pay for it to do that, though, don't you? <laughs> or you run it in the cloud at this point. I've, I've, I do stuff in the cloud. Shout out to my other podcast, Paranoid Programming where I walk through all of that. But I, yeah, I use a, a handful of them where you basically just rent a computer out in the sky for 50 cents an hour or something. And then you can do all this stuff regardless of what hardware you've got. We talked a little bit about uh, with the rescuers being kind of like the first time where Disney had real celebrity voices, which they've brought back in 1990. Although in 1990, uh, uh, you know, well, Bob Newhart does still have his sitcom on the air, but he 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 doesn't seem like he's definitely not young and hip. I guess he never was. That's his shtick. But the only voice that really stood out to me was John Candy in this one. Oh yeah, that's and he and he took over out. from I forgot who did the voice pre in the previous movie. I've got the name, but yeah, that guy just you know he died shortly before they made this. So yeah, that guy and then John out. Candy <laughs> and then that guy. Yeah. Of course, now that I guess they would like digitally recreate uh, that guy whose name is coming up in a moment. Uh, oh, oh no, that's just talking about. Wow, yeah, oh yeah, it's harder to find that name when you're looking at the name of the new movie. Okay, that guy. Sorry, he's going to be that guy. Sorry, dude. I know you have a name, Jim Jordan. <laughs> there we go. I found it. Okay, sorry, AKA Jim Jordan, guy. who I now who I now have named. Yeah, Jim Jordan, aka that guy. Yeah. I, you know, everybody wants some candy, right? You're getting your candy for this movie. Um, until the end of the movie, I think my last note is nobody wants candy because they, they leave they leave him on a literal cliffhanger, but he's a bird, so I guess it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, he can get back home because he, he's the one that got him there. 
Yeah, yeah, he's he's the transport. So, so what were what were the other voices in this movie? Because I guess I didn't make a note for any of them standing out except for John Gandy. Yeah, well, Bob Newhart's returning um, as the Bernard. Um, Eva Gabor is here. This is her last film role before her death as Miss Bianca. Really? So, and this one, Miss Bianca is being voiced by a very elderly lady. Uh, uh, here's the one where I didn't even realize this till halfway through. And then I was like, of course. Um, <laughs> Georgie Scott is our villain, Percival C. McLeach. So, of course, he of Dr. Strangelove and Patton. So that's a perfect voice for your for your villain, I think. Um, but he did it one better the year after this. Uh, the year after this, do you remember uh, something called... Uh, cartoon all-stars to the rescue the name sounds familiar but i'm i'm struggling for the visual it was a was special that all-stars to the rescue that's correct yeah it was a special that was aired on all of the networks and some cable stations where they got all the properties together the ninja turtles the muppet babies mickey mouse is there bugs bunny is there um with the intro from the bushes barbara and and daddy bush uh is this also you know, the nintendo cartoon What's his? What's no, his it's not. This was a, a stay off of drugs cartoon. <laughs> and the villain in that is also voiced by George C. Scott. So uh, I do recommend. All I have Star to watch this as well. Stars to the rescue. I and then right, up. smoke. Yeah, dude. It's got his, It's got the Muppet Babies. It's got the Winnie the Pooh characters, Alvin the Chipmunks, Bugs Bunny. There's a ghost, which I assume is drugs, maybe. There's a Ninja yeah, that, Turtle. Called, that's, that's, Alf. that's George C. Scott. That's, oh, yeah, Alf. That's George C. Scott. He is, plays a uh, sentient cloud of marijuana smoke called Smoke. <laughs> I'm, thank you for bringing this up. I have to look at this now. Pretty much doing the same voice from this movie, except instead of like a nasty Australian um, you know, scalp hunter or whatever he is, he's, he's now a sentient cloud of drug drug smoke i don't think they say marijuana smoke i think he's just drug smoke yeah, this is it right <laughs> here oh i don't want to play the i don't want to play the video but this there's a little puff of smoke that i assume that we're talking about here so that's that's action. him that's him <laughs> yeah so oh okay i don't remember this i don't remember this at all i'm gonna have to watch this this is awesome you did not have your tv on on that day in 1990 or 1991 i suppose um probably I, not i don't i mean and also they probably I've heard of some elementary schools showing this in class. Um, oh man, I don't, some of this looks real familiar. Although I don't know if it was just like repurposed, but I like some of this looks very familiar. I, I you might have just seen it when it was airing because if you were watching cartoons that day, you saw this. They made everybody watch it. Hmm. You know what? I think maybe this is the guy that gave me my first joint too. That's where I recognize this from. Ah, okay. My the. What did I have? That was that was from a black guy named Black at a Halloween party. B L B L A Q U E. Did you name him or did he name himself that? He named himself. Okay. That. It makes it makes a big difference. You don't want to. <laughs> oh, it makes a the... giant difference. No, 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 no. I was just like, that's yeah, the person. That, I mean, that or smoke. A smoke. I mean, of course, would be amazing. But if you've <laughs> you, you've probably had some drugs already, if you're meeting smoke as the cartoon all-stars to the rescue suggest you know he's like hey you like me why don't you try some heroin now i actually want to see 
like a whole series on that. Yeah, like I want to see like the DMT version. I want to see the PCP version. <laughs> yeah, it would be. I yeah. mean, out of all the people in the world that you could see draw, well, I guess not in the world. That's that's a little expansive because you've probably seen a lot of cool animation. But like, like the the drunken elephants and Dumbo, right? Imagine if they just expanded on that and they were like, let's do every drug. <laughs> uh, literally and also you know at, like anime every drug but uh, no, that has got cool. some alice in wonderland have some you could make a supercut that probably does that with existing movies <laughs> even what this one has a me? little bit of this one has um I, yeah the, the flying segment is a little bit trippy in this i mean that doesn't suggest they're on anything but this this is a better flying sequence than the first rescuers, probably because they had you know better animation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My opinion: this movie is superior to the original rescuers in almost every way, except uh, the villain. The villain for sure, but I mean, it's it's in a weird way. Like the first rescuers villain was more villainy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, she was just a she was cruel, Deville, like with a slight reskin. You know where despite having a fantastic voice the the rest of him is kind of bland like his motivations are kind of i mean his motivations just feel like the system you know or something the poacher yeah yeah <laughs> yeah also i think he's just like too damn like uh like good looking like he's mm. he's too like he doesn't have like the weird maleficent horn silhouette or like that old hag archetype working for him he's got the i'm um, crocodile dundee but i'm like a mean version of him but you're still right. like yeah but you're crocodile dundee like how bad could you really be yeah you can't follow up a grotesque villain with a dude <laughs> i mean they did but what can you do or like a that? like a chad dude specifically like smoke should be in this movie smoke should be the poacher <laughs> smoke That's... should be in every disney movie that would be <laughs> a cool recurring character just saying like just every once in a while he comes in like gives someone a joint they turn into a bad person yeah 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 so cartoon all-stars every week That's, that, that sounds great but um where were we going with that uh, smoke da, da. Oh, the, here's a, the other distinction. This came up recently. Uh, did you ever watch the the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, remake? It's, I mean, it's not very good, but did did you happen to see it? Yeah, oh yeah, I've seen every one of them. Although, yeah, the the remake doesn't stick in my mind as much as some of the older ones. Okay, because that kind of applies to this and maybe to the first Rescuers, because in the remake, um, which the uh, Jackie Earl, some something the guy who played Rorschach in, in Watchmen is is him, but um, yeah. In that one, it's shown that Freddie was also like molesting the kids. Yeah, they turned him like because there was ways that you could look at him as like almost a good guy in some ways. Like if they're you trying really to save him at first, right? In that movie, yeah. But but yeah, as soon as that version came out, it's like okay, like no, he can't stand for Freddie anymore. And and Wes Craven actually made a statement when that movie came out he he didn't like it he was like no Fred, freddie is not a child molester he's only a child murderer it's like oh, oh okay that makes it okay <laughs> which i feel like the rescuers kind of has that going on too a little bit it's like <laughs> yeah oh, no, just, you're not wrong murder the children it's yeah so it's they're not you know you know i kidnapped go beyond the children that. and i put the children in cages and i put them in these like underground layers where they're protected by you know reptiles but we're not going to do anything horrible except for kill them. Like, we're not going to do any weird stuff. Yeah. 
I, I guess hanging them over, a, you know, a bunch of alligators is pretty weird stuff. But uh, but not that kind of weird stuff. It's just murder, you know. We're not going to be playing like ping pong or eating pizza or anything weird like that. Right, right. Oh my, <laughs> no, no handkerchiefs. I did feel that they not. I'm not going to say recycled because um, reusing your animation or your designs is smart. And uh, yeah, our salamander in here definitely was a bit of a a a, a caw the snake again, which we've had for the third time. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't pick it up as much, but now that you say it, yeah, it's, it, I guess I can see it there now. I mean, if you didn't pick up on it, that's great, because that means they did it well. So, <laughs> I, Honestly, I didn't pick up on any reused animation. I wasn't looking for it as much, just because I guess right from the beginning, I was sort of like pleasantly surprised. Like This felt like a movie that should have had more reviews and, and that more people should be watching, I guess except for the boring Australia part. But I mean... As it comes in, it's got an amazing intro. I mean, because we've been talking about, like, what are your favorite intros? And I guess this point, we're almost at, like, a like a fork in the road where it's maybe no longer about which one, ha like, hits the nostalgia the hardest because arguably the Robin Hood, I think, is still my favorite intro. And it's not because it's technically, uh, like, you know, impressive or anything. It just has the song and the animation. I just like the aesthetic of it. But now we're going to get into... I like from here forward, I think like technical animations for the intros and like how impressive they are. So anyways, this one was really impressive because it comes right in and it feels fully 3D. It's got parallax. It's got like multiple planes of uh, depth and like camera focus. The camera moves and rotates around uh, in a way that doesn't feel like it was from, you know, what one was this movie? 1990 something? 1990, yeah. Like, I mean, it, it didn't feel like it had the 1990 look when you see other 3D animated films from 1990. And I think, again, because a lot of this stuff was done, like, frame by frame, even if it was in a digital workflow, it wasn't like you were just tweening, you know, have the camera here and then have the camera there. Someone was actually doing it frame by frame at some level. But doing it with a physical camera and the, their old playing cameras, that I mean, that would have been 100 times the work and basically impossible right right yeah yeah it would have been impossible to do this kind of thing without seeing like jitters and stuff but they do it really well i mean this this intro um, i might be overselling it here too like someone's gonna go and watch it and be like what is this garbage but i swear you put this intro on at the beginning of like a modern animated movie it it holds up like it, it really does have very high fidelity well, the 90s is really where the... Because in 1990, you could still just slap a title card on your movie and call it a day for a big blockbuster where, you know, by the year 2000, now you got to have something like whack, like, you know, Armageddon starting your movie. <laughs> so, or, or, or Fight Club, there's a good one. Um, with the, the moving through the brain from the Fear Center uh, credits, if you remember, in Fight Club, which was yeah, budgeted separately. I don't know separately. if that was actually one of my favorites, man. It just... It's not one of my favorites. It's just uh, the part. The point is it was budgeted separately. They were like, okay, Fox, if you like the movie, give me a little bit more for the credits because otherwise I'm just going to slap a title screen on there. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah, if kind of did the same thing better. <laughs> I could I could have done without those credits. There's some credits that... The enhanced movies and others that I, I, I can count them on like one finger, probably. Yeah, I guess in 1999, I was there on opening night and, you know, just hearing like, um, you know, Dust Brothers music on it was kind of like shocking in 1999 because <laughs> you still didn't hear much of that in movies. 
because even the Matrix, you know, starts with a it starts with the orchestral swell and not the techno quite. It takes a few minutes to get to that. <laughs> that was what everyone's parents uh, were forced to listen to Rage Against the Machine at the very end. That's right. <laughs> um, where where was I going with that? I think I, maybe I finished making that point. I, I don't remember. <laughs> Um, I I, I want to mention too because you were mentioning some like recurring themes and and the last thing you mentioned was how the uh what the hell is the lizard crocodile thing what the hell is it anyways <laughs> oh yeah I I wrote salamander like maybe like evil salamander let's see what the official credit on him is oh but oh voiced by Frank Welker there um that's fun who you know he shows up in no excuse me he does. Oh, okay. Joanna is McLeach's pet, Goanna. So I guess that's a Goanna, not a salamander. Uh, Frank Welker voices Joanna as as well as uh, Marta Hute. Uh, Frank Welker being famous for doing Megatron and animals in every movie. He just shows up in movies and makes a bunch of weird sounds, which I love. <laughs> oh, you mean like not not doing the voice of animals, just making animal noises? Yeah, he doesn't say any words in this. He has two roles where he just goes, ah, ah. <laughs> and he does this in like so many movies. If you look up Frank Welker's um, filmography, it's insane. He's 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 one of those guys. There was uh, this is like uh, this will be the shortest tangent ever, but I but I remember in in boot camp there was like towards the end when everyone starts getting comfortable and like knowing each other and being able to joke around a little bit, and you also start understanding the schedule so you know when you can like goof around before the ti comes in and like, you have to act serious and there was like a certain times of the night when i swear we had like six or seven people uh in our flight that were as good as michael winslow and at, at least doing animal noises and they would turn the entire place into like a rainforest where someone would like start doing like crickets and then another person would like throw an owl out there and another person would like and all of a sudden and, like almost everyone's contributing to this like and it would sound crazy it would sound like an actual like you were outside in some jungle or something so anyway i, I don't know why that page came up but yeah people making animal noises <laughs> no i got a coworker who when he's bored he'll just sit like we're sitting there waiting for the meeting to start and he'll just start making like bird noises <laughs> like bird call noises so that's not annoying that's that's definitely socially acceptable other people don't don't join in. It no. doesn't become a jungle. No. But uh, <laughs> no, it would be weird. <laughs> even uh, even on the, on the little company trip last week, yeah, we're on the bus. I'm sitting next to him, and he's he starts doing that. One of the Japanese teachers like, "Oh, is that a bird? No, it's not a bird." <laughs> <laughs> this is another another random tangent, but I, it's it makes sense here. But I actually worked with Michael Winslow for a very short amount of time on, in two different areas. One is that. Uh, he was working with the, the company I was at when we were at Disney and he would just come in and do like consultation stuff for like a week. And I think we were trying to pitch some ideas and having him like it was it was kind of like the badge on the shirt. You could be like, oh, Michael Winslow's here. Oh, wow. And then hold the meeting. And it was kind of impressive. Oh, the guy from, you know, police academy. And then he was also um, my one of my uh, artists that I work with when I did music. He was the sound man for Michael Winslow. So when Michael Winslow would come to Orlando or even go on the road and do like stand-ups or do like little one-offs 
uh, like my friend Chi King was the one that would, you know, be his sound man. And on both of these instances, I remember Chi King, bro, would tell me the funniest stories that he would go to like a grocery store, they'd go to like Publix or something with Michael Winslow. And as the ladies are going there and doing the like boop, boop, he would just throw a couple extra ones in there and like it would just throw them off. And they're like looking at it and checking the receipt, just like little things like that. And uh, on a plane, he would do the like, bing, and the, the stewardesses would like keep walking up and down the aisles looking to see who was hitting the button. But no, one was, I don't know. It's, it sounds hilarious. But when, when he was doing the same thing at Disney, he would do it in the middle of these meetings and make like a sound like someone's cell phone was going off or like, and it really like it, it got to the, the president like real bad, like. He was not having fun with it after like day two. And man, I just love that's one of my favorite memories. Michael Winslow just doing his thing and annoying people over it. It was awesome. I mean, if, if something like that happens, you look up and see Michael Winslow, you should be able to put it together. Or maybe you haven't seen the Police Academy movies. I don't know. Yeah, and, and it's not like he was advertising. And like if you're just doing your thing and you're a you know 16-year-old ringing people up, you know, maybe you've never seen Michael Winslow or know what any of this is about. He do he's, I mean, he's amazing. If you ever he'd have like a whole series where he just emulates specific time period typewriters and like each key. And I don't know. It's it's insane, man. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I remember he doesn't get enough credit. Movies besides that is the uh, they someone would accidentally stumble into the blue oyster in every movie. That's the other thing I remember from those movies. The, the two things I remember from Police Academies. <laughs> <laughs> um. Where were we? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Where were we? <laughs> where were we? <laughs> we were just talking about um, who was doing voices for animals. Apparently, someone has a lot of credits for just animal noises. Oh, Megatron. Yes, Megatron does a lot of animals as well. So uh, it's awesome if you can make a career out of that. Voice acting. Hey, it's a thing, right? <laughs> so I got um, a, a couple notes here. One, one of them is that, again, we have a reoccurring Disney theme, which... It feels it feels like so ubiquitous if you just watch any Disney movie. It just feels like, oh, yeah, it's part of the formula, and you don't even realize it. But since we started at movie one, right, at Snow White and worked ourselves all the way up to 1990, there's this absolutely, like, beating you over the head recurring theme of that this innocent kid can talk to nature. And here we go again. The kid can talk to animals, but other people can't. Like, the adults can't necessarily talk to the animals the way that this kid can so it's that to me is standing out as one of the most important things that disney is relying on either as a formula or it's because it means something really deep to them beyond just the surface i do are the, are the rules clear like can bernard talk to everybody i mean he's some of the animals seem like slightly more civilized i guess there's there's like a hierarchy of class to these animals right where um Joanna the Goanna is, is basically feral. So, and then we get all the way up to Bernard, who is uh, Bob Newhart level. So, right. So, but like, but like, could Mc, uh, Bernard talk directly to McLeach or vice versa? Or is it like you have to be worthy enough to even hear them speak? Or do they, are they just like really careful about not letting, you know, the profane hear them when they talk? It, it's, it's undefined, but it seems implied uh, that if you're a child and you're innocent, 
then you're automatically able to talk to animals. Like there's no special rules for that. It only gets special once you start determining, oh, are you an adult? Oh, wait, are you a villain? And then it's kind of on the fence and it's kind of like up to each movie's rule set. But in general, if you're a kid and you're innocent, you can talk to animals. That's the Disney way. Obviously, we're going to get into this in about five episodes, but do you think like in pop culture in general, does Toy Story start to solidify those rules a little bit? Or Which at least it, it has be... a Toy Story has a very clear set of rules where we can talk to each other. And then there's like a hierarchy of toys where some seem, you know, like not as sentient as others. I mean, on it, yeah. So to answer you, I think it does solidify it because that's the entire premise of Toy Story is that these like entities only operate when you're not looking. It's like a double slit experiment, right? But like your toys. But there was another movie that I, I think I've brought up a couple times before. I think it's called Christmas Story or something, and it was a combination of Disney Channel and John Hen Jim Henson, I think, and it was basically all of this kid's toys would come to life whenever when anyone someone like left the room and one of them gets like trapped and it turns it's actually like i remember it scaring me a little bit creeping me out as a kid but that was essentially toy story um and if we're discounting brave little toaster because brave little toaster i think is its own weird dimension like that that <laughs> belongs in its own thing but i do believe that it starts there and then the, the real solidification that happens in toy story though is the Disney proxy where we say your parents are gone. Here's this new, you know, animated character. It's going to be your parent. Now, next time you see it at the store, you know, buy it. But now it's going to be like the toy story. Hey, not only is this an IP character, but it's a real toy. It's a thing that you can like this toy that you're seeing walking and talking and looking at you. You can buy this exact toy at the store. And it has the same soul that you're seeing on camera. It's no longer like, the plastic version of Bambi or the stuffed version of Dumbo. It's like you can buy Woody, like the real Woody that you saw in the movie. And there's a good chance that when you leave the room, he comes to life and you better buy Buzz Lightyear and you better buy like all the other ones. Otherwise they'll be lonely. And mm -hmm. it even like, we'll, we can, we'll go into random tangents, but even the last uh, toy store last, but toy story four, at the very end where like the toys get on this conveyor belt and it's like once they've been passed down so many times and no one wants it anymore they basically throw it into like an incinerator it's it's the brave little toaster again right when they go to the junkyard mm. but the whole thing is like no i have to save these toys because i can't replace that woody that woody has a soul and that woody like knows about me and i've saved it and it saved me and it can't be replaced and they like it that becomes the entire mission of the movie is save the toys from being thrown out. But then I'm just thinking too, like it's just a toy. Like you can just go and buy another Woody. So the impact of teaching kids, like, no, the Woody that you grew up with, that one has the soul. And if you lose it, like you you basically killed your Woody. And if you get a new one, that's like if you accidentally killed your dog and you just go out and buy a new dog. So that in a very oversimplified version, but that's what Toy Story solidifies the most, I think. Well, he did a fantastic uh, confusing of that or amplification of that last year with the uh, Lightyear movie because it's like, 
okay, this is this was Andy's Star Wars and his universe. No, no, this is not the buzz that was in the Toy Story movies. We don't want to hire Tim Allen right now. So it's a different yeah. buzz. <laughs> That's He's... what it was, yeah. <laughs> so it was just like, if you look up their press release on that, the, the wording is just like beyond vague and confusing, you know? So well, I haven't uh, seen it yet. Is it worth, no is one it worth saw it. a watch? No, no, we don't like it. Turned out people, I, I didn't see it either, but the word on the street is that we don't like Andy's Star Wars. So, I mean, you know, it could be like Andy really loves Sky Captain, the world of tomorrow, and that was his Star Wars. And the rest <laughs> oh, of us God. don't like it that much, you know? <laughs> it could Andy be like in front that. Of a green screen for two hours. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's got to be some kids out there that were obsessed with that. It's like how. Uh, people who are maybe like 25 right now, like, were like, yeah, I really like the prequels because I grew up with them, right? The Star Wars prequels. So, I, I, yeah, man. I mean, that was my favorite one. Was the one that came out in 2001, whatever. The whatever the one that had the Anakin that everyone was being mean to. That's my favorite Star Wars to date. Still, that's the 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 sand is coarse. Yeah, the sand court. Yeah, the the race car one. It's everywhere. You can yeah. tell how much I like Star Wars. Like, yeah, this, the the <laughs> desert race course thing. Yeah, I don't know any of the. No, just since I was at the beach last week, I just kept saying that to people until they like <laughs> wanted to hit me. You know, I don't like sand. It's coarse and it gets everywhere because <laughs> it, as it's like spilling out of my backpack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the biggest mistake is I, I like snorkeling, and I was like, um, I was like, I'll be smart this time. I, I bought fake Crocs. But then I wanted to buy souvenirs, so I was like, okay, at the hotel, I'll dump the shoes and save it for souvenirs. But then right after that, we got to go snorkeling. One of my coworkers saw me going in and out of the water, like just walking over coral. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and that, that, I, I, the snorkeling was fun, but getting over that was a nightmare. <laughs> I think my just hands like stepping on like the coral, like we're trying to like rebuild the coral uh, from scratch and Matt's just like stomping through it. Well, I, I think I don't think it was actual coral. It was just sharp rocks. Uh, you, you swim you out. Can, you can backtrack. We we got you on tape. You've been destroying yeah. the world because they have what, volcanic rocks and stuff too. So <laughs> this was at a resort. That was like right at the beach of the resort. So if there was anything living right there, it was, it was, <laughs> it was bleached the hell anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I got out actually true because when I got on the water, it was fun. I saw a cool fish, but the coral there was nothing compared to the other place where you have to drive out to and there's nothing there and the coral's extremely psychedelic so yeah if you want to go you mean like if you lick it you don't lick the, the coral <laughs> oh oh, oh so maybe hey that's a good thought just <laughs> no but if you swim down they also have the okinawan sea snakes which are like the first or second most poisonous snake in the world and when i was swimming out last week i saw three they, they're just you know they're three meters under you and they're pretty docile but if you rile them they will you know immediately kill you basically <laughs> like all the beaches have signs like we have some extremely toxic animals here do watch out for them <laughs> just a bunch of karens <laughs> yeah it's a death trap out there but uh <laughs> yeah signs in japanese i didn't have to read the details actually i think it was in english too i don't remember i have a picture of it somewhere <laughs> um of course i guess australia is also the uh the notorious death trap country for some of its uh flora and fauna um does this movie really make the the bush the outback seem you know super dangerous or is it just our, our poacher friend uh that but also it just seems like dry but then also there's like waterfalls in the middle of nowhere i don't know it 
it's all over the place. It, it this they could have said this took place in the Grand Canyon and it wouldn't have made any difference to me. I don't think. Yeah, because George e. Scott's barely working on his Australian accent much. He's mostly just doing himself. So, what would be something that would be like uniquely Australian that would happen here that would make it more interesting? I can't even think. Aboriginals, maybe they certainly don't show up in this movie. They, they sure don't, <laughs> and they absolutely would have made it more interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, have uh, there been Aboriginals in any Disney movie yet? Hmm. Have they have they not gotten to that checkbox yet? Have they gotten back to Australia in any uh, Disney movies? Well, we're gonna see how they at least do with a, a different group of people in Pocahontas and maybe not in the best way. So that'll be an interesting one when we get to it. Uh, so they did that. Uh, what else have they? I Are they redoing a Snow White and the Seven Dwarves in live action? Isn't one of those dudes Australian? They got one of everything in that movie, I think. Oh God, that's coming up next. Okay, I mean, I did that wasn't even on my radar, but I mean, the live <laughs> yeah, action well. Pinocchio. Like we did the Pinocchio podcast before I realized there was a live action new Pinocchio. So, <laughs> so I mean, that, honestly, that's one of the strongest Disney theories that I believe is holding true is that they just release crap movies to raise the stock of their original movies, and there's no downside to it at all. No, I'm almost willing to say that's not a theory anymore. <laughs> that's a business plan. That's a, uh, I think. I mean, it makes sense if you're looking at it from a uh, you know dollars and cents points of view, and that's one of the issues with the American entertainment thing right now. I mean, the people running the show were always bastards, but they used to be more creative bastards. Where now they're just like, I went to, I have a you know, um, MBA bastardry. <laughs> Or, or my daddy put me here and we're rich. So <laughs> I guess that happens a fair amount too. Yeah, I don't know if there's a better way to do it. Like like some gladiator battles. Whoever whoever kills the previous best director gets to direct the next movie. Well, we almost have that with like Elon Musk going to cage match with Zuckerberg, you know? We need more of that going on. <laughs> the, there's something interesting too about like these tech nerds that need to become like jujitsu champions and fight each other physically because like they were never in that space for the first 30 years of their lives yeah i guess i, I i'm happy that i still get to be a bit of a uh, film dork like i saw a headline this morning on maybe it was japan today or something talking about upcoming releases or and i thought i read mank as in like the movie about the guy who wrote citizen kane but and then I couldn't find the information I was looking for. Oh, I mixed up with Musk, and this is a documentary about Musk and, and <laughs> Twitter. So, which I I don't think that's that's depressing right now. So, <laughs> give that one a few years. Too soon, man. Too soon. It is a little wanna... soon, yeah. <laughs> and don't don't de don't dead name X. It's it's X now. Right, right. Well, yeah, but the the documentary I can say is about Twitter because it's it obviously was about everything that happened before that. So, you know, it's the the artist formerly known as Twitter. Yes. <laughs> um, what else do you have in your in your notes? Uh, I got some sporadic ones. So, so let me start with. Man, I'm going to butcher some of these names, but Maruhute, the the great golden eagle, um. So I, I had to look. I already I had mispronounced to... that. Did I? No, I did. Oh. I think. 
So, so I, I was just looking up to see, did, does Australia actually have a great golden eagle? Um, and so there is something called a golden eagle, which is one of the most common eagles, but it's not the one that's pictured in the movie. The one that's pictured in the movie is actually a wedge-tailed eagle, which is the largest eagle in Australia. Um, but that one doesn't have like a gold look to it. So the, the golden eagle is likely a combination of like a mythical version of the eagle. I mean, you just make it golden and it's automatically mythical, right? But the largest eagle is actually this wedge-tailed eagle, and it kind of looks similar to how they draw. I don't know if that matters, but I, I made all of these notes and I went on a rabbit hole. So you're going to hear about it anyways. Um, Are they big then, enough for a boy and several mice to? Uh, not quite, not quite. Okay. I mean, the, the boy part throws it off a little bit, but the wedge-tailed eagle could definitely pull a boy up and maybe drop him a few times and turn him into food. But I don't know if you could like ride it like a drone, a you like put things on a drone, but you can have him lift stuff. Uh, and it, it might be based on something called Host's eagle. And host eagle, I trust me, there's like a whole eagle tangent here, but I've I found something interesting that, that these types of eagles are known as kleptoparasites or kleptoparasitic eagles, which is sort of like a um a vulture, except the difference is that these eagles will wait for something else to kill something and then they'll swoop in and take the kill, sort of like Bigfoot, the Bigfoot stories where like the hunter kills the the deer and then bigfoot comes and like takes the carcass and runs away and it's like i'm bigfoot i live here i get to take the deer like this is more mine than I'm yours bigfoot. and you're not allowed to yeah like <laughs> so so there's this this concept here though of, of this particular eagle so what i'm saying is that um the boy is in great danger he's in a lot of danger right now because this eagle that he's you know trying to save is a kleptoparasitic eagle which is not the kind that you probably want to be around but anyways um it was hunted this particular eagle was hunted to extinction in the year 1400 and this was the largest eagle known to have existed in the world um so i don't know i thought that was all fascinating so maybe this maharute the the great golden eagle could be a version of this host eagle which apparently w went extinct in the 1400s so maybe it's like the you know this long lost sort of missing link of eagles that he comes across and that would explain why all of a sudden it's got this like incredibly important role in the story i guess that means our knowledge is mostly like forensic about these eagles though yeah because when the british show up 1750 something like that so right yeah and and so so the story on that i, I i've got the, i've got the receipts for this in case anyone really cares about the eagle <laughs> But so the, the host eagle had a total population of about 4,500 breeding pairs. And the current thinking is that early human settlers in New Zealand, so the ancestors of the Maori um, tribe, they came in like 1280. So when they got there, they preyed almost exclusively on flightless birds um, and hunted those birds to extinction in like around 1400. And as a result from them, hunting the flightless birds to extinction, then the eagles didn't have anything to hunt. So they just kind of naturally died off over time since humans had taken over their food supply. So anyways, that's, <laughs> you know, welcome, you're welcome, Earth. <laughs> humans are now, here. When you, when you start looking at the actual ecosystems, it's, it is pretty interesting. I, I was finishing up a book about the, um, you know, like 
like cattle ranching in the, in the late 19th century and stuff and just how important wolves actually were to that ecosystem so when they finally did start reintroducing them in the 1990s you know just everything wildly changed with the animal populations we we went over this a little bit too in the bambi episode so i, I highly recommend going back and listen to that one because that one was interesting that deer have no natural predators other than humans culling them with cars and guns basically and that if we didn't cull them then like what do you do with all of them they start eating all of the the produce. There would be more deers alive that would be eating more produce that are meant for humans, and then it, it turns into this like nightmarish cycle. So there's actually a reason that you want to kill Bambi's mom. Long story short, yeah, nightmare deer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you hit one going sixty in the dark. It, it's definitely a nightmare deer. Yeah, hey, I've I've done my call that way, which I probably told in that podcast, so I won't do it again. But <laughs> and then and then the the final note on on all of like the statistics about the the eagles and everything. This that eagle, the Haas eagle, that went extinct around fourteen hundred, was the largest predator among New Zealand's prehistoric fauna. It is the largest, heaviest eagle species ever described, weighing up to seventeen point eight kilograms which is what just shy of 40 pounds for all my imperial homies that sounds about right and it had a wingspan of three meters so i don't know if it could if you could ride it necessarily 40 pound bird um but it it could ruin your day (laughs) let's put it that way well little little cody was probably malnourished by that point anyway (laughs) that's right in the middle of the outback yeah dehydrated he's he's actually quite emaciated under that t-shirt so 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 speaking of there's a scene when he gets tickled by the talons of the eagle like it actually tickles him and he's like ah. and i just i mean eagle talons from what i've ever heard i've never touched one but they're like supposed to be one of like the sharpest and most hurdy pointy things that you could ever interact with and this kid's just like giggling playing with the eagle's talons it seems again he's putting himself in grave danger here <laughs> Hey, that's 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 the outback, isn't it? A world and of he, danger. He also, if you notice in the beginning when he's riding on his back, the eagle like does this dive and it's like fun, you know, like, oh, I'm on a roller coaster. But that's the exact move the eagles will tend to do with their prey is they bring them up really high um, where the, the oxygen is a little bit, you know, lighter. Um, and then they'll just do like a, a massive dip and that quick change in air pressure can just make you unconscious it's kind of the precursor to them knocking you out and killing them so it, it, i don't know just like as i'm watching this animation again it's like all right like the kids playing with the talons that doesn't look good up oh, now the the eagles bringing him up to where the, the air thinner oh now he's dropping back down this is not looking good this klepto parasitic birds about to, to have a nice meal you know my, my notice that um yeah, he's going bush the bad way. So Bernard too. He he certainly he's just like I'm just gonna stroll off into the desert and hope for the best, which is his big plan in this movie, I guess. <laughs> it's a great plan. I mean, I guess Bernard is sort of ending it all because by that time, um, his, his his lady mouse has been kidnapped as well, and when he knows with... that Zsa Zsa's on her last leg, so there's nothing left for him to really care about. Yeah, yeah. Bob Newhart stumbling off into the desert. There's 
That's why animation's fun. You don't have to see that. <laughs> <laughs> and then what else did I got here? Oh, I mean, I had a joke about it, but I would legitimately say this is really good exposition when the kid realizes that the eagle uh, doesn't have like a father and he's like, oh, where's your where's the daddy eagle? And then he's like, gets a little tear in his eye and he's like, oh, my dad's gone, too. And it was it was uh, I just thought it was really good exposition because there's so many other movies or TV shows or stories where they're like, oh, wow, this reminds me of when my dad died when I was, you know, four. And it's just so unnatural for it to come out in this weird, like blatant exposition way. So whenever someone sneaks in like really smooth exposition, that just impresses me. So I thought this was a really good way of doing that one. Um, and then when he's given this golden feather, I feel like that's probably one of the most symbolic parts of the movie, just because the golden feather has a role in lots of other stories. What's well, a pretty literal talisman and becomes a plot point in this. I mean, that's how the, the poacher figures out that the, the boys in cahoots with the bird, which is actually a pretty <laughs> weird, a uh, con- <laughs> weird conclusion to make. But yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> Well, and, and I mean, so this one is where it gets into the more woo-woo, uh, like reading into the symbolism. But you've got the poacher, who, by the way, his first name is Percival, um, which can be broken into Pierce the Veil. And if he's in search of this golden feather, right? Let's say that he's he's got Joanna, this lizard that he can't necessarily understand and have the same kind of communication that the kid has with nature but like they understand each other he can talk to it and he can observe you know what joanna is doing but they don't have that same communication but he's in search of it and he wanted like the golden feather kind of represents that ability to commune with nature the way that the kid can do it so effortlessly so the whole time percival is really like in search of that knowledge that is only accessible to this like pure spirit kid so maybe he had it at one point or maybe he realized like it seems unfair that this guy that's been like out in the middle of the wilderness like his whole life lives in a cave essentially um he has less in common with nature than this sheltered kid does that gets kidnapped yeah i was i was sitting here trying to think of uh if i had a different connection with nature as a child i remember thinking a giant bush was a convincing spaceship at some point so that that happened outside of my elementary school but then as a boy scout and you know i i i love hiking but i usually don't want to camp so i was i was usually tired with nature especially if it was raining relatively quickly <laughs> i mean today it's around i'm gonna take a hike around but that's different i'm gonna come home and i can take a shower or something so <laughs> i was i was outdoorsy grow i mean upstate new york was much nicer to be outside than you know southern florida but I remember doing all of the, com- I mean, I think it was common, but like just lifting up rocks and finding snake, like gardener snakes, you know, not like yeah, you know, yeah. anything bad. Gardener snakes and little roly polies and worms and chopping worms in half, thinking that they would like grow another half and, uh, you know, convince myself they you did. But I'm it. pretty sure I just murdered many, many worms. <laughs> um, but yeah, and just like getting dirty and digging and just like fu- just digging down and finding things that moved and then naming them and they became your pets. Like that was that was fun for a good portion of my youth. But I guess you didn't have conversations with them as as. Uh, you'd be surprised. You? Well, it was, okay, they were one sided conversations that I never thought they talked back. But I want to say that out of the 
the hundreds of hours that I spent being indoctrinated by Disney, I was absolutely convinced that if I knew the right way to talk to them, they could talk back to me at some point. I was, I was, you know, a big X-Men fan. So I just assumed one day I'd start shooting lasers out of my eyes, you know, and that would, you got to drink toxic sludge first. Ah, okay. That's toxic Avenger, but same difference. I was about to say living in Atlanta, I probably was doing that anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe everyone just has superpowers now. We just don't realize it because it's so normal. The, the, the superpower of, of saying incendiary things on X. (laughs) But hey, people do have that superpower. That's for sure. I don't. I don't think I do. I just post my podcast. But I was saying that in a different podcast a few weeks ago. Like one thing in Japan is, you know, like people usually just keep their opinions to themselves. <laughs> is there a? I mean, this is sound ignorant. Is there like a Japanese X? Um, there there have been platforms. Uh, yes. Uh. So like what Mine. are what are the kind of thing cuz here if someone's like oh what's american twitter about it's usually like oh it's people getting in the flame wars or like shaming people or just lots of hot takes i i feel so out of home when it comes to twitter cuz i don't have a lot of hot takes about things that are going on currently and it's like everyone mm. seems so informed about so many minute things and they've got opinions on them and I just don't know about any of it. Like, I, I might have an opinion. I just don't know enough to form one. Well, uh, the, you know, the downside is the Japanese political climate is glacial at best. So <laughs> you know, nothing ever changes. It takes forever for things to change. But um, people don't get in, like, pointless arguments with each other as much. So that's nice. Because you're trying to avoid... People want to avoid conflict in Japan. So, um, which, yeah, I don't know. I kind of like that. I mean, with podcasting, I try not to throw out hot takes. I want to, I want to put out, you know, things that anyone can listen to, right? So, <laughs> at least if they want to hear about weird stuff in, the, in our case, but not everybody wants to hear about, you know, homunculuses and 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 the the ancient history. Well, they of should. Eagles, That's the point. Is that they, they should. should. And sometimes you need to hold them down and just like. I will tell you about this homunculus. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna listen about this homunculus, and you're gonna like it. I know, I've known I've thrown that word into um, casual conversation the past few months, usually to weird blank stares, which is <laughs> kind of the point of throwing into casual conversation anyway, right? So, <laughs> but hey, if someone asks, you got you now you got a very interesting thing to talk about with them. So, <laughs> I, my my explanation always ends with uh, you know a lonely old man having. A pleasurable experience and then burying it outside the back of his house and then putting dung on top of it which is yeah. i mean out that's context, the ultimate that's, summary yeah out of context that certainly makes it wild so <laughs> <laughs> let's see if i have any other dumb notes here open sesame is a bad password if you never use that as your password someone's going to guess it um <laughs> although it is an incantation so there's that i guess uh, if he just said something else like, you know, swordfish, that's that's not so much of an incantation. But our passwords are personal incantations. We keep them to ourselves. You know, we have a few weird ones. <laughs> that's a little thought. The cyber incantation. That's how you do the magic of computers. Hmm. 
Sorry, yeah, I'm maybe. going away. I, it's, it's, I yeah, it's like, a, the, the, like the secret hand. Maybe that's in the future is that to like log on to your computer, you're going to have to give it like a secret handshake with like the Android. That'd be fun. You create your own with an Android. Have your robot. Friend. I mean, the, I like right now that. you do like the swipe pattern, right? You like design your own swipe. So in the future, it'll be like crazy handshakes. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, are, what are my other dumb notes? Oh, when Miss Bianca says, Bernard, the boy. I, I instantly thought that sounds like a terrible indie rock band. So there's that. <laughs> um, Bernard, the boy. Uh, with with a comma, of course. A comma has to be there. Um, <laughs> nuts on eggs. Why did I write that? Oh, because John Candy is having to sit on the eggs, which the eggs bite him back at the end. Yeah, as our stinger joke. <laughs> Almost literally. <laughs> Insert Steve Irwin joke here. Ooh. <laughs> too soon after 15 years or whatever it's been <laughs> we're still keeping him his name alive so yeah, yeah it was a fun show he seemed he seemed very happy on screen he was a so. good guy right nothing like he never got me too right yeah i don't think so who knows these days but i i, I do not believe so <laughs> well, at least not by anyone in the uh the human species yeah this is a I guess my final thought is, you know, this is an hour 17, I think. And Disney animated movies, are. this is a, about the tipping point where they're going to start becoming more like prop, not quote unquote proper length. This yeah, is our I'm last not looking forward condensed. to it, man. I'm not I mean, looking they forward don't, to it. Well, the, the animated ones still stick around like 90 minutes, right? It's not like they're they're sending you in for an Avengers Endgame or something. But uh, yeah, they're going to they're going to notch up just a bit. So. But yeah, this, this is an interesting spot where the storytelling is still a, the story the the script is mean and the story is the thing I like the least about it is still stuck in that kind of seventies eighties Disney vibe. Like yeah, yeah, Little Mermaid broke out of it, and they're going to uh, take it wherever in the future. So, um, I, I, if you got something else, do shout out. But our next up is Beauty and the Beast, which I've never seen. So it'll be that's going to be viewing. a good one, man. That's going to be and, good because uh, I've I've been on a freaking rabbit hole that ties direct like Beauty and the Beast is the perfect analogy for this topic. So I'm looking forward to it. Okay, no, because um, my Australian friend who I, I who I talk to on the phone several times a week and almost tried to get an invite to this, but um, he's getting him into a Zoom is sometimes a little bit tricky. So I didn't, but uh, yeah, he's been he's got kids i think they're like maybe seven and nine now so he's seen beauty and the beast several times recently and you know he's into like conspiratorial rabbit holes and stuff so oh yeah i mean when we started doing this podcast a year ago it's like when are you gonna do beauty and the beast i'm like uh it's gonna be a while man <laughs> so <laughs> calm down dude well we're here yeah. now no because he, he said of, of ours he, he listened to our roger rabbit he listened to fantasia i will listen to beauty and the beast when you do it so you know there's people <laughs> looking forward to it and i've intentionally like not been watching it especially once we started this because um all i've seen was i saw the christmas movie version of it like there was i a have christmas not sequel. seen that one maybe i'll maybe i'll watch that one too it's for not it. good no it's not good it was just i think by that time my friend was already like rapping uh negatively on beauty and the beast itself so i was going eh, the christmas one did you know. ever see the tv show i think it was the linda hamilton beast? thing yeah the linda hamilton one i remember that's one of those shows that i probably could have liked more like highlander but it came on just before or just after next generation so okay that's what i 
it was always like that's what i want to see i want to see next gen so <laughs> I, I was like ah, oh, this thing i have to get through ah it's over and i have to watch this that's that's kind of how those shows ran. yeah, yeah that's how david the gnome was for me because <laughs> highlander is a very good show um like it's probably better in the movie but yeah at the time i was like ah no give me the, the friday the 13th tv anthology tv series that's another one that would just things that aired around next gen like we're not next gen and, and made me unhappy. <laughs> it made you just like hate, hate everything in proximity to next gen. <laughs> right, right. Same with uh, uh, that's with Saturday morning cartoons, right? I love the Muppet Babies. So whatever was before or after the Muppet oh, Babies. Dude, snorkels. Whenever the snorkels came on, it was like, oh God, anything but snorkels. Because it was between <laughs> like Smurfs and Garfield or, or something. It was between. Wait, like, that's the snorks? snorks that's what i mean yeah okay yeah because i was talking about snorkeling 10 minutes ago <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. The, i remember the snorks came on and that was like oh there's nothing else i can change that like there, there was when you know i sound like an old man but that was back when there was only like seven channels or 13 <laughs> channels <laughs> yeah I, I remember liking snorks a lot I like the smurfs um i do remember not being so much into the gummy bears or the actually the disney cartoons as a kid were not my jam like yeah they I weren't that great. Food to be Care Bears were pretty good no gummy bears has a fantastic theme but that's the show itself i remember nothing about so <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> great and they weren't bad. real gummy bears i always thought that was kind of a ripoff they were just normal bears yeah well not, it's kind of like how the spice girls were not actual spices <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we don't know that yet. You have to wait for to for them to dry and powder, and depends yeah, on how yeah. coarse you you uh you pepper them in the mill. I guess ginger's a real spice. <laughs> uh, is is ginger a spice? I guess that's a root, isn't it? Um, what what I'm known as the not I'm not known I'm known to my wife as the ginger thief because if we go to a sushi place, I'll eat all the ginger. <laughs> like like swallow it. Yeah, because it's a ginger. It's like a, the palate cleanser that you're supposed yeah, to Yeah, but I thought, sushi, right? I mean, maybe this is me being a bumpkin, but I thought you literally used it as like a palate cleanser. Like you put it on your tongue, you wipe it around, you take it back out of your mouth and put it back on the plate. Nah, you eat that uh, really? for dinner last night. My wife actually, uh, she cooked like, uh, you know, beef and green peppers or whatever it was just not much so then she other people were eating something she knew i didn't like so she's like here have a giant plate of ginger <laughs> which i quite think, enjoyed do you think the the sushi chefs are like giving it weird looks when they like what's this this weirdo Why doing like wiping his tongue with ginger. ginger and putting it back on the plate actually they probably are thinking that's weird you should eat the ginger man it's delicious <laughs> <laughs> now you know so yeah it's a palate cleanser that you can swallow <laughs> I still don't. I don't know if I believe that. I'm gonna have to look okay. this up. I've eaten so much ginger. Okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe I mean yeah, so. people do. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I've I've eaten some things that most. But anyways, uh, I do have a couple extra notes. One one I wanted to note that this, along with the kid talking to nature, yet again, here's a kid getting kidnapped from his parents. So it's the it's the Disney formula. I mean, it's it beats you over the head. That's definitely um, the rescuers formula. Like, I feel like that's what the rescuers do. Like, if they made a third rescuers, I would expect that same situation. Now, yes, it's also the Disney MO, but especially in the rescuers. Yeah, well, kidnapping in particular when it comes to the rescuers, as opposed yeah, to, like, getting point. lost or, like, someone dying. Or getting your uh, dogs kidnapped, yeah. Dude, I mean, a live-action rescuers. I'm interested. 
that would I mean they could I'm pull off one of these. What what if they done the live action at work? I remember watching the I haven't watched most of these, but I remember watching the jungle book and not hating it. I remember Maleficent being okay ish. I think that was a musical, so I didn't really get into it. Yeah. This one's not. That's a, that's this is an interesting point where they uh like Black Cauldron, this has no songs that the characters sing. Uh, oh wow, I, movies, I honestly just that. I just realized that as you said it. Yeah. I I don't know, maybe maybe that's on part of the, the the magic that's missing. Maybe it needed some musicals about being a klepto uh parasitic eagle. Well, with the success of Little Mermaid, they're all musical all the time. That was so. It's only five years later again with Toy Story or Pixar. It's like, hey, here's an animation with no songs that the characters sing. So, <laughs> it, I like it, that it, it, too, man. I mean, I I know it's definitely polarizing, but I love me I love me some Randy Newman. So, yeah, yeah, it is funny that they took someone who was so sarcastic in the seventies. Well, he's going to sing for kids now. Yes, he's going to sing for your kids. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I got a couple other brief notes here. One is that um, this is a this is an interesting movie in that we see a combination of nature making use of technology. So you got like I can't remember if it was like little mice or something, but they understand how to send like Morse code. They know how to type on computers. Um, they basically are like hacking the system. So this is an example of mice or animals talking to the human world but the human world doesn't understand it, you know, or, or they don't realize that they're talking to an animal. So in that case, like the animal is almost superior to the humans in a, in a weird Disney way. Um, they also, the mice use a downed airplane to send this Morse code to Hawaii. Then a, a mouse in Hawaii intercepts that. Um, he makes a call to a soldier. The soldier gets distracted, which is when they get to hack onto the computer and then they can send this message from L.A. to Denver to St. Louis to Chicago. To, so it's just like the, the mice have this global Internet communication worked out to a T better than humans do in this movie. Um, and then there's also uh, this this passing reference to Wilbur, the albatross, who they explain away as Orville's brother. So it's not the same exact albatross, even though it like looks the same. And I guess he couldn't yeah, say, oh, yeah, the Orville. actor whose name I've already forgotten again. Orville died. Yeah, but here, we, here we've got Wilbur. Um, but Wilbur makes a Charles Lindbergh reference. And I can't ever have Charles Lindbergh's name come up without saying he probably killed his own baby. Um, mm. So that's one of my favorite cons American conspiracy theories. And think about the Wright brothers, although maybe they have their own conspiracy theory. I don't know. <laughs> and then so so Jake, uh, Wilbur hurts his back. Jake sends him to the hospital and while Wilbur is in the hospital, these like crazy nurses, they strap him down. They just inject him with like a green liquid. Like, like no one tells them what's going on, what's happening. Um, so they all come down and the doctor comes by and he's like loving. He's like a sadistic doctor. Clearly, like the doctor is probably Swiss, maybe German and like really loves inflicting this pain and seeing Wilbur being just terrified. And he says, they all come in with a whimper and leave with a bang. Uh, and then he says, don't force me to take drastic measures, pulls out 120 milligram, um, you know, syringe of something. And then they're like trying to aim the syringe. And he says, three degrees, right down two degrees. 
if anyone's in the the numerology of like the 32 but then they just shoot this this uh needle into wilbur and that's how he gets his injection um but i there was something about he mentions charles Lindbergh, so i'm already thinking world war ii germans you know sympathetic and then all of a sudden this weird like mk ultra german doctor shows up like (laughs) with green liquid anyways it it was it was kind of a creepy scene man it was actually a legitimately scary scene excuse me Um, that's that's the scene for your super your drug supercut not the flying one sorry (laughs) yeah i missed my note that's what kicks it off you see him yeah. first, and then Fantasia starts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and then they they have um, the place they're going in the movie is Suicide Trail, um, which goes through Nightmares Canyon, and then the other option is Satan's Ridge. So I, I thought that was interesting. Like even in the what was it, Peter Pan? They kind of have a reference to cannibalism. Like there might be cannibals out here, but in this movie, it's just straight up. Yes, yeah, Suicide Trail or Satan's Ridge. Which where you want to go? Um, so <laughs> I thought that was like kind a, of interesting for a Disney movie. They also my, had Bloodworm Creek and Dead Dingo Pass. Those were the other things that were on the map that they didn't say out loud, but I paused it. And uh, yeah, Bloodworm Creek sounds pretty terrifying, to be honest. Australia will uh, kill you, I guess is the point. I'm trying to look. My my folk, my family comes from uh, Delaware, and I just remember when we were driving from my grandparents' house to my aunt's house on the beach, we kept going over rivers like the skull kill river the murder kill river you know <laughs> yeah, this is man. delaware you know <laughs> they don't have a great name and honestly a lot of that just has to do with the previous inhabitants and how they left but google maps does not give you the rivers names because i was trying to find but i know murder kill is one of them because you don't forget the murder kill river <laughs> <laughs> that's just like that's kill as in k-i-l right but <laughs> Uh, and then let's see. Let, let me see what else I got here. Uh, yeah, uh, the same note on Open Sesame. Although it's interesting, the origins on Open Sesame do have some occult links, but we'll bring that back up in Aladdin because that's going to be way more relevant then. Um, okay, sounds like a winner. <laughs> and in the rescue, I just want to note that the mouse might actually kill the poacher potentially. Like it doesn't actually happen in the movie, but the actions that they take could have very easily resulted in the death of this poacher. So that's that's also something that you don't see as often. Although, what was the one, the Great Mouse Detective, where they're on the uh, the big clock tower? That's kind of implied that, you know, whoever falls from that isn't getting back up from it. So there's a similar one on here. And it, it only is noteworthy because Disney definitely dials that back in coming movies where there's less, like, you know, permanent fate implied and more of someone just gets, you know, like humiliated in public or something. Yeah, yeah, that's the the Aladdin thing. I guess Beauty and the Beast, well, does it have a villain? We'll talk about that next time. <laughs> well, it's got that one guy, I guess. But uh I mean I again haven't watched it, it's going by hearsay. I'll I'll get to it. Um yeah, I'm trying to think of Disney villains that that eat it later on. A lot of the time now they have um like a, a comeback storyline where where they you know they come to atonement but also there's less of a reason to kill the disney villains off because you're going to make a live action movie of them in 20 years from whenever the movie three straight to video animated sequels yep um i i here's one of course we're going to get to this one eventually but i do remember atlantis having a pretty high body count (laughs) like surprisingly high body count (laughs) 
I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, that that one no, I remember. That's a good one. I I saw that was the first Disney movie that I actively watched as like I would say an adult ish. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I would think it was. I don't know, it was like 19 or 20 maybe when it came out. I don't remember exactly, but I remember seeing that and being like, wow, this is actually a legitimately really cool story that I enjoyed watching. No, that is and a good movie. We watched it about five years ago. And I was like surprised how good the story actually was and you know how much how much intelligence was in it. And we'll have plenty of occult stuff to talk about on that one for sure. <laughs> well, uh, about Atlantis? What is that like based oh, yeah. on something? Yeah, mm, I don't know. I think they just made it for the movie. <laughs> what will Disney uh, think of next? They're so original. Did you have any other uh, bits on the notes? I, I'm pretty sure I've cashed out on mine. Yeah, I've got. I think that was all of it. There was. I was. I went down a really, really deep rabbit hole of like all of the magical birds and eagles and stuff, and I came across one. I'm just curious if you ever heard of it, called Jinwu, the three-legged crow. Is that Chinese? Korean? I think it's Chinese. Yeah, it's not Japanese. It's Chinese. Yeah, I don't think I've heard of that. Uh, um, so, so in Japanese culture, they also have a similar one, and it's called God forgive me for this pronunciation, <laughs> Yatagarasu or the Eight Span Crow. That sounds a little probably because it's ja- just because it's Japanese. Um, although I, I will. I'm guessing it's probably a Pokemon based on it too. So well, well my, yeah, probably. Probably. I mean, I guess no animal is safe you. from having a Pokemon <laughs> named after it. But it says the it's mentioned in a number of places in Shinto, and the depictions are uh, primarily seen on Edo wood art. Is that how you pronounce that? Yeah, Edo, but yeah, Edo wood art. Um, although not celebrated today, the crow is a mark of rebirth and rejuvenation animal has historically cleaned up after great battles um symbolizing renaissance after tragedy which is very true and that's also why the the um, medieval times the the uh, ravens would be seen as these like omens because when there was a huge swath of ravens that would come through like you knew they were going to pick on dead bodies from a battlefield most likely <laughs> i i had a actually just two nights ago when i was walking home from work uh, or walk into a train station. I walked past the temple, and uh, they they were having a somewhat late night nine nine p.m. ceremony, which is pretty trippy. Some guys banging on small drums, a flute player, and someone um you know in a dragon costume dancing around, and only about five people spectating. So it was kind of trippy. <laughs> That's like every night in Florida here. Okay. <laughs> Were they rave, but not not like a rave. This this was like a religious ceremony. So oh no no, this is just people on bath salts. Oh okay yeah no they weren't on the bath salts. And they it's were, not really a rave. dragon costume. It's probably more like <laughs> naked. Yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> eating off some faces that sort yeah, of thing. Same, but uh, same thing yeah. Gets I, crazy I, I, to me. I'm kind of bringing it up just because it was like kind of a it was kind of fun just walking down the street and I mean I guess I could have even gone and stood and watched for a while but it's like kind of fun just to pass it by you know <laughs> yeah i mean that just shows the difference in culture because i would love to walk by that happening in the middle of the night and think fun and not think like do i have my gun on me right now <laughs> and if not <laughs> let me walk across the street when i lived back in atlanta for a couple of years having lived in japan already i did i did start to really miss 
the idea of just random temples and shrines being everywhere because the church is not oh cool an alley let's walk down this alley and you're never heard from again <laughs> whereas in japan you walk down an alley and you find a little red shinto shrine <laughs> yeah yeah that, that's definitely a different i would not recommend just doing that in random alleys in atlanta or almost any major city <laughs> no and i got back from uh okinawa uh last week i i, we, I got to the train station about five kilometers at midnight just walk the 5k home so not not a great idea in many places in america but no no with with carrying a ukulele and a bag full of stuff <laughs> big target on the back that says i've got hundreds crisp hundreds yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean no i don't tell you where i live too much but no i people in japan i regularly walk around with like 200 bucks in cash in my pocket which <laughs> sticking out of the America. pocket like like a dare <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> just come on get it get it but no you, you do carry around like a bunch of cash in japan which it, it, i i don't remember in america ever carrying more than like 20 bucks mm -hmm. so <laughs> kind of kind of interesting rescuers carry no money though because they're mice is that how it works i don't know do I, do I have an economy? It's not clear. They have technology. Do they have an economy? Uh, well, they're kind of like the UN, right? So they're probably, they've got some kind of like uh, universal currency, a one world currency. Ah, okay. They're, they're a uh, test. It a might test be social credits only. Right. <laughs> Actually, that's, maybe that's why they're out saving people is like, they're just trying to pay off their carbon credits. That's why Bernard, who's not qualified for this job, is doing it. <laughs> he's actually <laughs> he's resolving previous transgressions. Even this movie is like, I'm not the guy for this because well, he's not <laughs> the guy for any of this, is he? I, I guess that's what makes it mildly funny like or charming or whatever. <laughs> kind of, although he's clearly, in my opinion, he's not the star of this movie, even in a small way. No, I kind of forgot about the rescuers like three-fourths of the way into yeah <laughs> i was like wait a minute aren't there some mice in this i'd also yeah, take yeah. a 10-minute nap and to get lost like they're not the strongest lead characters um the first time i, I watched this it, it was a little late and i actually i did fall asleep for about 10 minutes and then woke up and didn't realize it i was like what happened to the mice because i guess i just fell asleep when they were on screen so i, I like i got this version where there was like even less of them <laughs> <laughs> then i you know went back and and watched it again so <laughs> so that that's why i was perfectly happy that we delayed this by a few days because <laughs> i had kind of piecemealed it and taken a little movie nap so it worked out for me well <laughs> um i guess we'll wrap it up what what's up in your what's up in your world besides slimer back there oh man so uh i've got uh comic that's going to be released on friday the 13th so if you're watching this in the future you should be able to either go directly to it or go to the paranoidamerican.com and maybe find a copy but it's called frazzle drip funhouse and it's about an animatronic bear that gets possessed and and gets revenge on an evil cult of satanic um arcade owners so uh yeah it's it's a crazy crazy one-shot comic that's based on b horror movies it does not hold back on all of the cheesy one-liners uh it doesn't hold back on like the gore and just like the over the top being crude for the sake of it so it's definitely in a, an adult oriented comic there's no like boobies or anything but there's lots of horrible gore and blood and guts and uh ways to die so i think that's pretty good for this 
movie as well, uh, you know, leading out from our Disney into the Frizzle Drip Funhouse. So <laughs> you can say in many ways Disney was a big influence in even wanting to make a Frazzle Drip comic book. So that's what I'm, I've got going on this month. <laughs> ParanoidAmerican.com, Frazzle Drip Funhouse. Yeah, I just, I just realized it's an October Friday the 13th. Okay, that's, that's pretty right. wild. Yeah, that means like when it, for the weather on the on the whiteboard for my classes on Friday, I get to draw sunny Jason or cloudy Jason. That, that's always fun. <laughs> I, I have one class. They're like 10 year old, 11 year olds, I guess. And every week because I'm like, OK, I'll, I'll draw cloudy on the board. What kind of you want? Happy, crazy, uh, angry, sad. And the past few months, they've been asking me for world leaders. So <laughs> they'll be like. We want Putin cloudy, or we want Kishida <laughs> sunny. So I, I'll look up the image. I, we did we did Kim John sunny once. That was fun. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that that's that that that's how I, I entertain myself at work, at least uh, drawing Kim John sunny for children. <laughs> you get killed for doing that. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, no. We we're just watching um the the Asian games are going on right now. So right before I got on you on breakfast, they uh they the game was screening downstairs with North Korea versus Japan. I'm like, maybe they should just let North Korea win. Because <laughs> <laughs> if they lose and they go home, it's not good for them. It, it turned out yeah, right. Japan beat them four to one. So I was like, "Ooh, I, I don't know." It's like going against like the Iraqi soccer team in in the late nineties. Yeah, yeah. So like you know, you know what happens if they lose, right? Like <laughs> now you're kind just, of a dick for winning. Just let them win. Just let them win. <laughs> North Korea wins again the championship. <laughs> But hey, if you if you really want to be nice, you know you you let them win. <laughs> I guess I guess I don't. I'm not I'm not a sports fan or a competitor, so I can say that. Um, just let North Korea have everything. Just just let them have it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what <laughs> what's up with me? Okay, uh, I do other podcasts. You can support those on Patreon at Podcastio Podcastius. Uh, we talk about movies at films and filth. The Twilight Zone and recently the show One Step Beyond at Time Enough Podcast. Uh, Space 1999, we're doing a podcast on that now called Podcast 1999. If you want a show that really throws in the, the mystical, the esoteric in with the sci-fi, that's that's a fun trip. And there's some gamer ones. Like I said, I'm, I, I can ask Luke about that Pokemon because he has Luke Loves Pokemon. Hyrule Field Report about Zelda and the game game show where British gamers game each other about games. Okay, I think I got all that out. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the next one is beating the beast, right? See y'all then. All right. See y'all. Feel the color something higher And one with a love that is pure fire To feel your life first to let it flow Your life's a garden so let it grow Open eyes to rainbows everywhere Deserts in bloom in vanity Fair love allows all their own way to be Each soul shines as stars upon the sea 
Take the trip within to know yourself Being at peace is genuine wealth Stillness traveling uncovers the self Being one within is your true wealth Moonrise birds of paradise take flight Peons of shaman bless this night Intuition of dolphins it knows The key to all mystery it chose Drifts a log on the sea of cultures She prophesizes all that she says Wonder found in each step and each breath Life between our lives Knowing no death Take the trip within to know yourself Being at peace is genuine wealth Stillness traveling uncovers the self Being one within is your true wealth Take the trip within to know yourself Being at peace is genuine wealth Stillness traveling uncovers the self Being one within is your true wealth Do you feel the call of something higher And one with a love that is pure fire To feel your life force to let it flow Your life's a garden so let it grow